There you go. On one day of Pen um, Pentecost. Pentecost, all of the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound of, from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And they were filled, and and it filled the house, the the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared, and settled on each of them. And and then everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, and began speaking other languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability, this ability. Acts. Two, four, one. All right, thanks, Jackson. You can be seated. We're going to dismiss our kids to uh, Children's Church presently. And Donna, you got your person to give you the heads up. Of <laughs> Donna's got double duty. She's playing piano and teaching Children's Church, so she gives she gets time and a half today. What a wonderful thing! If you don't already have it open on your, in your Bible or your device, turn to Acts chapter 2. I was talking with a good friend of mine not too long ago, um, a fellow who's been also uh, been a, in preaching ministry as well as a missionary, um, been a lot of different places in the world, and he was talking to me, um, telling me a story I hadn't heard before from him about when he was in India, southern India. And he'd been taking this tour uh, with, this, uh, with this mission group, preaching in different villages here and there. And he had one sermon that he had memorized, and he took this, took this sermon, and he had an interpreter that traveled with him. He didn't speak. The local language was called Tamil, which is about... Um, well, about 65 million people estimated speak Tamil in southern India and Sri Lanka. And so he had his Tamil interpreter, and they would go from place to place, and he would preach. The interpreter would interpret in the local language, and they would go back and forth and do this from place to place. There was one place where they stopped, and um, my friend got up, and he began to speak like he had. His interpreter was right there beside him. And as Michael spoke, he stopped like he normally would to let the interpreter do what he did. And the interpreter said, keep going. So Michael kept preaching, and he just kept on going. And he kept like, looking at the interpreter like, and the interpreter just kept saying, you're doing great, Go, just keep preaching. And eventually, Michael just thought, well, maybe he'll just take over at the end because we've been at this for so long. Maybe he has it memorized too. And at the end, the interpreter didn't do anything. He, they prayed and went on to the, the song service. And off the stage, he said to the interpreter, why didn't you interpret what I said? The interpreter said, you were speaking perfect Tamil. I didn't have to. And my friend was taken aback and he, did, he had no idea. He thought he was speaking English. He was speaking a foreign tongue that he didn't know. Is the spiritual gift of tongues alive and well today? As we look at the person and the activity and the characteristics of the Holy Spirit through the New Testament, I want to revisit a little bit of last week's message. Um, 
I mentioned there are lots of different churches in America today who have different takes on the Spirit's role in the believer. The availability or the unavailability, depending on your camp, and I, tended, I intended to leave a big question mark in all of your minds, I think I succeeded, on what exactly Jim thinks about this. I related a couple of my own personal interactions with that, that kind of Western, if you want to call it, charismatic experience, which left um, not a great taste in my mouth, but... What I didn't mean to do was to diminish the reality of the Holy Spirit. I was being honest about my experiences. I never meant to diminish the reality of the Holy Spirit working as the Holy Spirit wants to work. And I never meant to ridicule or belittle anybody who did, who who exercised those kinds of gifts. I, I never have, and I'm not sure that I ever will, but that's my experience. And the Holy Spirit has a way with him, with whoever he wants, wherever he wants, however he wants in the world today for the purposes of advancing the gospel message. And so in, in, in my, in my uh, text today, we're going to cover a lot of ground, but for the first 10 verses of chapter 2, we're really going to focus in on what the Spirit is doing and how he's doing it and what his purposes are. And at the end of this, there's still a high likelihood that that you and I might disagree on this subject. That's okay. There's an awful lot of debate about the Holy Spirit's role, the miraculous gifts alive and well in the church today. It's not a matter of salvation. We're trying to dig into what this text is saying to us. I fully believe that what Jesus said in John 3 is still true. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. I fully believe that the gifts of tongues, interpretation, healing, even miracles still exist in the world today. I also believe it's important to pay attention to the context and the purpose of these gifts in the revealed word of God. And in writing this book, in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, Luke is very purposeful about when these gifts show up, why they are there, and this text is a primary example, the birth of the church, the day of Pentecost. The nature of God's spirit and we see it from Genesis 1 clear through the, to the end of the book. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, however it is referenced throughout the Bible, it's important to understand the move of the Spirit here in the greater context. So it's probably no surprise to you, if you've been around here a while, I'm going to take you back to Genesis. God made, okay, let's just, re, let's just review, okay? God made Adam and Eve told him to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. And after they sinned and were expelled from the garden, they began to fill the earth all right. But it was filled with wickedness. And in chapter 6, verse 5, it said, God observed that every inclination of the human heart was only evil all the time. So what did he purpose to do? He wiped out everything that had the breath of life in it in a worldwide flood. After the flood, when we tend to stop reading, (laughs) in Genesis 10, 
we see outlined what's called the table of nations. This is Noah's three sons and their families and how they repopulated the earth in generation after generation after generation and where they went and the kind of the table of nations, 70 different nations that God basically disinherited. He, he's, and in, in the process of that time frame, time frame, we see Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. This may be a more familiar story to you. What you may not have known about is how to connect these dots. So Genesis 11, verse 1. The whole world had how many languages? One. One language and a common speech. And so these people get an idea. They've, they've settled on this geographical place, and they say, hey, let's build a city. Nothing wrong with that. They also wanted to build a tower that reached to the heavens. Okay, that's ambitious, but why? What's the motivation? What's driving this? Well, they tell us two things. One, in verse 4, so that we may make a name for ourselves. So it's about us. And two, that we may not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So it's about self-preservation. It's about a name for us and self-preservation. Doesn't sound exactly led by the Spirit of God. Babel was completely counter to God's plan for his people. It was pride that got Adam and Eve in trouble in the first place, making a name for themselves this place, exalting themselves instead of God, is idol worship, complete idol worship. They made a name for themselves. And so they forced themselves into a false unity by a common language. Uh, Empires later on in history like Greece and Rome took on this common language Against, if when they took over a, a people group, they forced the common language on them. They forced the culture on them in order to assimilate them so that they would keep them from rebelling and uprising, the, these indigenous peoples. So a common language was forced, maybe used against. Now, who do you think is going to build one of these huge pyramid-like structures? Slave labor. So they oppressed uh, thousands of people to try and put bricks together to try and get the pitch and tar out of these really incredibly hot places and put this thing up together to make themselves a name and a sacred space for their own plans and their own purposes. And then in verse 5, it gets really interesting. And instead of relying on my notes, I'm just going to go back to the text because I want to get this right. In verse 5 of Genesis 11, but the Lord came down to see the city, which is really interesting because, I mean, he didn't have to get so close, right? He could have seen it from where he was, but he, it says he came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down. Okay, this is one of these really confusing Trinitarian, perhaps, passages. Um, maybe he's talking to the angels, I'm not sure. But let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. 
that sacred space that man wanted to make in his own image for his own purpose was stopped. God had his own plan about connecting heaven and earth, and he had scattered the nations and peoples and disinherited them. But if you look in the very next chapter in Genesis, chapter 12, you see the beginning of God's plan to choose a people for himself. He chose one man, Abram. God gave him a promise, the first couple verses of chapter 12. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. Make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The nation that would come from this one man, the people of Israel, God chose as his inheritance. It's all over the Old Testament. This is God's people, his inheritance. He chose them. And the rest of the Old Testament is about God's plan to grow this nation, bless it, teach it, be with them in order to bring about the Messiah. Jesus the Christ would then bring about a new covenant by his own blood, one that would invite all peoples together by his spirit, be filled with his spirit in order to go forth to all the nations to be a blessing, a promise fulfilled through Jesus, but also fulfilled through the people who Jesus is with, mainly us, the church, through his Holy Spirit, which brings us fast forward to Jerusalem 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. The day of Pentecost came. They were all together in one place. Now, I need to just reference here, there are three major feasts in the Jewish calendar. We have major holidays in our calendar. The Jews had three major feasts. First was Passover. We've already experienced this in the text. Jesus was, was crucified, resurrected during that Passover feast. Fifty days later, there's Pentecost. Penta, five, okay? And this is late May, early June, Pentecost. Wheat harvest is mainly in, and then early fall, there's tabernacles. For those who lived in the farthest reaches of the known world, there, there was in the, the law of Moses this command that any God-fearing Jew would have to come back to Jerusalem. If they were really great, they would come back for all the feasts. But most of the time, you could only come back for one because in early spring, when Passover hit, and in late fall, when the tabernacles were celebrated, the weather wasn't awesome. The shipping lanes weren't open. The weather in, in, in the, sea of the Mediterranean Sea didn't always cooperate. It wasn't always safe. So that this feast that we're talking about here, this Feast of Pentecost, was the best attended one from people who were far away. It was nice traveling weather. It's almost as if God planned to have his people reunited in Jerusalem at the very time when his spirit would come in power and give birth to the church to send them back. But I'm getting ahead of myself. They were all together in one place. Verse 2, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. I've always wondered, was it just the sound of the blowing of the violent wind or did a breeze really kick up? (laughs) It wasn't really storm season in early June like it is here, perhaps. But I think the more miraculous thing would be to hear the wind but not feel it. 
the sound filled the house. And all through the scripture, what are some of the things that the Spirit of God is compared to? The wind and fire. Look at fire throughout the Old Testament. God's presence in fire. God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. There was a pillar of fire that led the Israelites out of Egypt by night, cloud by day. Once they got to Mount Sinai, what was on top of the mountain? Fire, darkness, smoke, thunder. Once the tabernacle was built and they wandered in the desert, God's presence over that place was fire by night, cloud by day. And in Numbers chapter 16, fire came out from the Lord and consumed 250 men who were unauthorized to offer incense. Remember that scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark where the, the, the things came out of the and you know, got all the Nazis? I'm just thinking that. 250 crispy people. And in Luke 3, John the Baptist said that he baptized with water, but there would be one coming that would baptize, immerse people in Holy Spirit and fire. I think it's important to understand and see in verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. That is significant. The fire was only ever in one place at one time, whether it was burning up the bush, but then it wasn't burning up, or whether it was over the tabernacle, or whether it was leading them one place at one time, this separated and landed on each of them. The temple presence was now with each individual person, not just in one spot in one city somewhere. And then they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, verse 5, there was staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, this feast. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And I'm reading the New International Version here, and um, in verse 6 it does say language. The, the Greek says language, but when you get down to verse 8, and it says, how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Language, again, the NIV says language, but the Greek is a different word. It's dialect. It's not only being able to hear in your own language, but you're hearing in your own accent, your own vernacular, your own local slang that these Galileans, these thick-tongued, hillbilly, backwoods Galileans know how to speak like that? Excuse me? What is going on here? When you grow up speaking a language, the very fibers of the muscles in your jaw, the neuron pathways in your brain, they form certain patterns and habits. The summer that Rhoda spent in South Africa, there were these kids. I mean, everybody spoke like this, and there's different clicks, whether it's in the front or the in the back or the in the side, and, and those matter because of where you make your clicks, no, that's what word you're talking about. And these kids were just like... You know, I'm, how do you do that? Well, they were raised doing that. It doesn't matter if you learn a different language as an adult. The people who speak that language will always know that you're not a native speaker. These people were convinced, how did these Galileans know how to talk 
like I talked when I was growing up. The Spirit enabled them to do this. And what were they saying? Verse 11 says they were declaring the wonders of God. The how here is obvious. The why needs to be asked, which is exactly what these amazed, bewildered, confused, and astonished people do. What does this mean? Verse 12, Peter gets up and starts answering the question in verse 14. Very quickly, he explains the movement of the Spirit had been predicted by the, by the Jewish prophets centuries ago. Peter quotes a passage from the prophet Joel about God pouring out his Spirit on all people. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men see visions. Old men dream dreams. Men and women being filled with the Spirit of the Lord. And Peter quickly connects this to the person of Jesus, a person validated by miracles, signs, and wonders by God. And then Peter drops the hammer and outright blames these people for Jesus being executed. And he makes a watertight case for his resurrection. Now, it can't be said that all these people in his hearing were present at Passover and saw these events or even took part in them. But it's obvious that a good many of them were because of their reaction to this whole sermon in verse 37. And they said they were cut to the heart. And they said, brothers, what shall we do? So the question, what does this mean, quickly became, what should we do about it? See, with so many other things in the Bible, there's so much more going on here than we could ever imagine. All these men speaking in other languages, proclaiming the wonders of God to those who live in the farthest reaches of the known world. What is God doing? He's reversing what happened at Babel. In Genesis 11, God descended into a people of one language who wanted to create a holy space for themselves and their own image, and he confused and he scattered them. On the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, God descended in fire and power in order to gather a scattered people and a confused people and unite them in a sacred space of his own design under the lordship of Jesus and the direction of the Holy Spirit. In this place, Luke tells how the language is spoken furthered the gospel of Jesus. A message of repentance, confession, and baptism to new life. And then they went home. A unified people, but taking the gospel in order to take it to the world, to a people God chose all people to come to himself. This is Peter's answer to the what should we do question. Earlier in the sermon, Peter quoted Joel by saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, which is also in Romans 10, I think. And he couples that with verse 38. Repent of your sins. Turn away from that which has separated you from God and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. You know Jesus, the one that you crucified. You know the one that God raised and exalted above all. That Christ, be baptized into him for the forgiveness of your sins. And what will happen? The same spirit that you see active right now, that gift, that presence that enables these people to speak in languages you, that you know but they don't, you know that spirit, you take that gift 
and you take it back where you live and you proclaim the wonders of God. You proclaim the gospel. You bring people under one roof into God's people, the church. And did you know, did you know that when you say yes to Jesus and you're obedient in repentance and confession and baptism, when you step into that new life, that experience of death and burial of your old self, and when you identify with Christ and his resurrection, you're just not obedient in yourself, but you're part of a centuries-old global movement of the Spirit to bring all the nations back into a unity that was originally created in the Garden of Eden. For some of you, you've asked the question, what does this mean? It may have been about something else. It may not have been people speaking in languages that you know they didn't know, but you did. You've went through the scripture and you said, what does this mean? And you know plenty now. I mean, you've been around a while in the Bible. And while you don't have it all down, you do understand this. You understand what this means. And you're ready and you need to be asking, what should I do? Repent. Turn away from your old life and the sin that so easily entangles you and be baptized. Some of you, this is a new thought. This is something you've not heard before. And maybe you need some teaching, some conversation, some prayer. You need the Spirit to be calling you, working on you. But others of us, others of us need to quit putting this off, what we've been wanting to do for some time. Peter, it says, spoke to them with many other words and he warned them, he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. That warning is nothing new, but it bears repeating. But then, there's always some. Rewind back to thir- verse 13. There's always some. Some, however, some different people, they made fun of them. They mocked them. They ridiculed them. And they said, ah, they're just drunk. Oh, they're just so irrational. Oh, they're just so primitive. Oh, they're just so barbaric. Oh, they're just so not with the times. Oh, they're just so, they're anti-intellectual. Whatever you want to put on it, you've heard it. You've heard lots of people speak about Christians this way or any move of the Spirit or any command of God. Oh, no, it's just, no, it's just for children. It's just for poor people. It's just for dumb people. No, 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 no. You don't need that. There's always going to be some who will stand against you, who will belittle you and make fun. But I believe that there is a movement of the Spirit still today. And how he chooses to manifest himself is completely his business. And it's completely in, in us that we respond. But I'm, I'm hoping that this chapter, it puts together some pieces maybe of you know, you seeing the entire Bible as one story that leads to Jesus. Perhaps some of these lights hadn't come on for you yet, but others of you, that's just, that's just surface stuff. What you need to do is get deep with obedience. 
and say, I have not given my life to Jesus. I haven't trusted him in this. I have not been given this gift because I haven't put my faith in him enough. I haven't repented of my sins. I haven't called on his name. I haven't gone into the baptistry and come out a new person. Maybe that's exactly what you need to do. And if that's the case, we're going to call you to it, whether it's now during the service or whether it's right afterwards and when you need to talk to somebody or whether you don't put this off. Some of you, God's been calling you for a long time, and I don't, I don't know necessarily, but I do know that he's faithful to be all that he said he would be. Let's pray together. Father, we want to uh, just thank you for being the Lord of all creation, for being um, the master craftsman of history, for being um, the one who redeems, the one who saves, the powerful one that brings us out of our own weakness and sin into, into life and into light. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would work to convict where it needs to convict, to, to comfort where it needs to comfort, and that we'd be open to his voice. Father, help us to walk toward you in some way today. We're thankful that you help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Sunday school, we started a series last week where we're talking about these Bible themes. And specifically this morning, we talked about this place where heaven and earth kind of come together and kind of these, this big concept. And, you know, in the Old Testament, they talked about <clears throat> in the Old Testament, the, the place where heaven and earth came together was the tabernacle and then became Solomon's temple was the place where heaven met earth. All right. And, uh, and more specifically, the Holy of Holies was, was really where, you know, that whole thing went down. And, and the high priest had the opportunity to be able to enter in to the Holy of Holies and be able to, to be a part of that experience and, and go there on behalf of the community. They then would make animal sacrifices, and those animal sacrifices would atone for the sins of the community at that time. But the thing was, was that wasn't enough, right? And what we're getting ready to celebrate as, as a body of believers is, is communion. And you know, we're getting ready to take a piece of bread, and we're getting ready to take some juice. And, and those are symbols to something so much bigger. And so in this video, they talked about specifically the cross and how the cross was this point where heaven and earth met in such a, a magical and, and wonderful way that just changed everything from then on, both past, both current, and for the future. And so it created this opportunity where heaven and earth were able to mingled together. And then they talked about how while Jesus was on this earth, Jesus being this heaven and earth coming together, he went out into the messy world and 
and actually lived and interacted and healed and forgave and loved, bringing heaven to earth. And then we're having this sermon series now where, where we're learning about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And we had this discussion in, in Sunday school where we actually kind of unpacked this idea that we as believers are that moment where we get to have this heaven and earth kind of experience. And, and how do we live differently because of that? And how do we look different? And how do we act different? And how do we encourage others? And how do we love others? And heaven and earth has, has come together at the cross, and that's what we celebrate for communion. And back to First Peter, but this time chapter 3, and it's verse 18. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much. I mean, it's not really enough. Those words aren't enough for what actually happened on the cross and what we then entail received. But those are the words that we have, is just to simply say thank you. And I pray that we live that out. We have actions that are behind that thankfulness and that we put action behind that sacrifice. I pray as we, as a, as a body of believers here, take communion, that we reflect deeply on, on what happened on that cross. And, and not just physically, but what spiritually happened and how heaven invaded our earth because of what you wanted to happen. And I pray that we walk away different and that we look different, that we more specifically look more like you. Father, I love you, and I know everyone here just deeply loves you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.